It has been a proper minute. It's been more than a minute. And listen, <laughs> I believe last podcast episode, I, I let y'all know we are working. By we, I mean me. I'm working to make sure y'all got something every week. And it wasn't a lie, right? <laughs> Intention matters. But it was a lie in the sense that I didn't do it. So, you know, somewhere right in the middle. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. And Bagheera, oh right, it's me and Bagheera. Bagheera's still here. Still very interested in launching his own podcast. But I told him, first, first let's, let's get this solidified. And then we can start on Bagheera's podcast. But anyways, before we get into this episode, before we really start to talk about uh, this new format, let, let, me, let me explain to you my motivation. Okay, so the, a couple things. As much as I wanted to be able to get y'all a wine review uh, podcast slash sometimes interview podcasts some slash sometimes uh, beverage history podcast every week. Something about it was really unsustainable. And it is because in its current state, the editor, the producer, and the quote unquote, I'm not saying this about me, I'm just saying the word, Talent all come from the same person. And said same person, a.k.a. me, is also working on a supper club, working on a monthly dinner series, working on several different projects. And at the same time, though, having a weekly consistent podcast is not just going to be something great for all parties involved, right? The listener, the producer, the, the person who's promoting it. It, it If you're going to have a podcast, it needs to be consistent. That's, that's the game. And if you don't, then you're basically just screaming into your phone for no reason. I'm, I'm trying to be as behind the scenes as I can with y'all because I really wanted to sort of highlight like what what it means to take to take your podcast seriously and as much as I wanted to I just couldn't and so I thought about it I said to myself what is a sustainable model what is something that I can do every week and that means in all honesty as much as I love wine, and I do, I really do, and as much as I want to talk about wine, I am not somebody that necessarily is drinking a wine I want to feature every week um, consistently. I'm not able to sort of put in the research. And, and listen, the research is minimal, but there's still some research happening. Um, 
but then I also want to be able to talk about wine when I'm when I'm ready to come to the table. But then I also want to talk about a whole slew of other things. And I realized that this podcast, in order for it to be consistent, it just needs to be something that I'm able to talk about every week. And so the new format, and I'm not saying that this is the format that's going to be, you know, what we're sticking to a couple months down the road, three months down the road. But the new format is going to be, we're picking three different topics most of it food-related. We're going to pick three different topics every week, and we're just going to talk about it. I'm What I'm also hoping is with it being on Substack as well as Spotify, we're going to be able to start actually a conversation. If you want to talk about something on this podcast, if you want something to be discussed on this podcast, if you want someone to be interviewed on this podcast... I'm saying let's 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 open it up. Let's open the gates up. And I would love more comments of what you guys are looking for from with me. With that being said, I do have three topics this week. And this is not going to be the categories I'm going to stick to every week. Like I, I realize there's going to be a, a few weeks where maybe you'll want to talk about like a famous chef's birth chart. Yeah, that I want in the mix. Maybe I want to talk about dating as a chef. Maybe I want to talk about I don't know. I don't know. I'll I'll keep I'll keep my my future ideas to myself for for right now, but I'm just saying there are things we can talk about here. And it doesn't necessarily need to be every week coming from me about wine. But yes, maybe I do want to talk about wine, but not this week. This week, I, I, I have no wine takes for you. What I do have, number one, is something that I made this week that I really, really, really am ready to explore a little bit more. One of the things I've been really kind of dealing with for the past few months is finding a way to really explain the kind of food I'm making. And there has been a lot of buzzwords in the past just as I'm trying to find my footing of what to call my food, right? Because I do come from a place, all of my cognitive thinking, all of my logic is rooted in the fact that my first identity on this planet was as a Thamillion. And therefore, in the strangest ways, in ways that maybe I'm not even like um, conscientious of, that is my first base of making anything. At the same time, I'm somebody who likes exploring more than Thamillion food, right? Then I'm including lots of South Indian places. And that, and that came from the motivation of traveling by myself in South India and realizing that my specific food scope was, was not the majority of what is happening in South India. And there's just a lot of delicious food out there. And then on a, a bigger scale, 
South Indian food in general is not well known, right? Like when you think about Indian food, you're thinking about chicken tikka masala, you're thinking about, which is, let's, which is English food, I guess. Anyways, uh, you know, you're thinking about paneer, you're thinking about things that are delicious, but I don't, I don't necessarily have like a, a, a true attachment to those things other than like I enjoy eating them as well. So, so that really did become a forefront of what I want to champion and what I want to cook. But I, I, I'm not cooking traditional food, right? Um, one of the other parts of me that I identify with greatly is the fact that I grew up in Garland, Texas, and that I am one of those people from Texas who loves being from Texas, politics aside, right? But I love it. I love being a Texan, and I love whatever that means. That's a whole other complicated identity. And so finally, after years of like really trying to figure out what it is, it is South Indian Texan food. But then when you go to the Texan side of things, listen, Texas is made up of many different cultures, right? It's something that I'm so excited about sort of exploring in the dinner series I do with the training kitchen. Last, uh, what, what month was it last month? <laughs> September. We, we explored basically uh, the region of Pondicherry, which is at the Million and French, former, former French colony, right? And with that came a lot of Vietnamese influences and Creole inf- influences, right? And, and that specific menu was super fun because we explored not only all of those different cultures happening just within this small part of India. Then when you take the Texas side of it, and you add a little Viet Cajun, right? Then there's something else. So to be Texan is to is to really sort of be somebody who's multicultural, in my opinion. Long preamble to talk about what I made this week and what I want to continue to explore. I made something that I am dubbing right now as Thayer Sadam pizza. Thayer Sadam in South India is basically yogurt rice. And there's, you know, food and wine topics about yogurt rice. Many cultures do yogurt rice. It is not just a Tamilian thing, obviously. But um, I, I don't like Thayer Sadam which is our version of yogurt rice. I, I don't like it. I don't like any kind of yogurt rice situation. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it, which makes me a, a very, not an anomaly <laughs> as an Indian, <laughs> but also um, almost traitorous as a Tamilian, okay? Everybody loves mor sadam. Everybody loves thai sadam. I just don't. I don't, I don't fuck with it that way. But I do love the condiments that come with that asadam, okay? One of the best things about having uh, 
yogurt and rice is if people go a little bit extra, a little above and beyond, okay? You can just have yogurt and rice and then have like an urga, which is like a spicy pickle on the side you can have and just, and you know, call it a day and you're, you're done with food. Sometimes people like to freak it. And what they'll do is they'll fry in some oil, a little bit of mustard seed, some curry leaves, mix that in, really calendify it, meaning mix it up with a little bit of salt, serve it with some kichilika, which is a, it's, it's like, it's like fruit jerky basically, but better. Um, it's a very sour, sour, sour citrus, citron. And they dry it and dehydrate it a little bit. And they dry it and they dry it and they dry it and it becomes black and dark in color and salty. It's like, it's like South Indian Botarga, right? It's, it's something that I literally will just, if it's around me, I will just chew on it all day. I love, I love Kichlika. And Tharasadam is equated with Kichlika, right? You can have that with it. You can have a little bit of spice. You can have some urga. You can maybe even have like a little bit of bordi. It's delicious. And potato chips. Potato chips is, is very much necessary in this. As a kid, if I had to eat yogurt rice, I would try to get all the fixins in there as much as I could, okay? And I would do this thing where I would eat all the chips, duh. I would try and just get like little bits of the curry leaves, <laughs> the seasoning. I'd basically find a way to like get the seasoning out <laughs> and leave all the nutrition, which is the rice and the yogurt, on my plate. And then I would like kind of sort of do this thing that I would... I, I thought it was a pretty good way of like finding ways to not eat my my dinner, which is essentially you kind of spread the rice around, right? It's because your thali plate, right? You have a big steel plate. If you're smart, you you maybe even like pretend you're a very messy eater and a lot of that food is like, you know, sort of surrounding your plate. And then the rest of it you can just sort of scatter. And in my head, I was like, this is great. No one's going to find out that uh, I didn't really eat my thiosatum. But I ate all the fixins. So you can see, like, obviously, I've had the majority of the meal. I'm pretty sure my mom knew I wasn't eating it. But, like, you know, she can only cajole or, you know, carrot and stick it as much as she can. But I, I just didn't, I, I don't fuck with them. That is not the thing that I get excited about. So cut two, I'm thinking about what I want to do outside of my monthly dinner series with the training kitchen. In October, I'm really excited about my Veracruz collaboration. And I was thinking to myself, like, what, what could be something super fun to explore? And what would get me out of my comfort zone? Not just, um, 
not just in the non-South Indian side of a collaboration. And I thought about it. And especially when we talk about South Indian food, when I talk about South Indian food, I am so ready to explore outside of my own purview, right? Outside of this Tamilian Iyengar identity. And I realized, I was like, well, maybe I'm actually a little bit more uncomfortable going back to with dealing with something that was a constant in my childhood that I really didn't like. And that's the I saw them. That is a constant, okay? As much as I didn't like it, it was a daily sort of thing that I was dealing with. And I thought to myself, like, what would make that Sodom appealing to me? Me as in just not worrying about the audience, not worrying about if there's a customer base. Don't worry about any of that, right? What's going to be interesting? I said, well, what if we put her on a pizza? And so the first iteration... We made the Odyssey sourdough on Monday. I invited a few friends, did a little test kitchen situation, added some telegio to it, let that bake get ooey gooey, and then we added to that pizza um, creme fraiche mixed with hung yogurt, dollops of that. Kichilika, we put it on the pizza. We put potato chips that have been dressed in some bordi spice. Fried curry leaves that were fried in olive oil. And a little bit of barangayam hing, which is that very savory spice that you'd find just ubiquitously in a lot of Indian cuisine. And then I said, let's... Let's add something else. And we add a little bit of caviar. And there's something there. We're not there yet, but there's something there. The, the strangest thing is when you took a bite of it, it tasted like mor sadam, thaid sadam, but not. So that was the thing I made this week. That's something I want to explore. I will continue to work on this idea because... I think once I can get it to somewhere that I'm really happy with, it's a pop-up. It's something. I don't know where it lands. I'm just letting you know the beginning of whatever is, is happening. Okay. That was thing one, y'all. Let's, let's get to thing two. And I want to talk about Michelin. And a lot of rumors that are happening here in Austin, Texas about it maybe coming to town. So there's, there's a little rumor, a little whisper uh, among the industry and, and industry adjacent people that Michelin might be coming to town. Yes, Michelin, the tire company. Also, the very much lauded slash criticized uh, award rec culinary recognition group. I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. Like it's, it's the same, it's French James Beard, right? And to me, this is very exciting news, which I think is controversial because I think 
there's a lot of chefs. There's a lot of people out there. It's it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, I don't care about awards. And to that I say, bullshit. I thought about this for a little bit. Just for a little bit, not a lot of it. Not about Michelin. I've thought about Michelin quite a bit. But I thought about this whole um, chefs, certain chefs being against Michelin, uh, but ready, ready to to go to the quote unquote more egalitarian James Beard. And and listen, it's it's important to remember, just like in your own human experience, that all awards are meaningless. That yes, definitely have that in the forefront. But don't tell me. Don't tell me you're a chef. Don't look me in my eye and say, I don't care about awards. Like you're some fucking special goodwill hunting type. Get out of here. Here's how I know you're lying. Number one, you're a chef. Okay? You're not, you're not cooking in a restaurant because you want to just sort of you know, get some money, get some scratch while you're going to school. You're cooking in a restaurant until this other thing that has nothing to do with the industry pops. Bullshit. You're a chef, which means you are deranged. Like me. It means you went through line cooking, which is an insane way to live. Right? You rose up in the ranks or however you did it, you went to culinary school, you did something. You put out intention that this is just more than you making money in this capitalistic game and then going home. If, if that were the case, do anything else. Then you're a true psycho, okay? <laughs> we don't even make that much money. So, like, go fucking... Work on Excel sheets all day in a comfortable office and make more money and go home. That is someone who doesn't care about awards. And you know what? That's also a lie because I know like in those teen corporate meetings, I've never worked really in those atmosphere. I worked a little like, I think I worked like six months in corporate atmosphere right outside of college. But they get rewards right? Most productive, most amounts of uh, rows and columns. I, okay, I don't know. But though everybody, everybody cares about awards. If you're, if you're in this money game, however you do it, you care about awards. Fine. You know who cares more about awards than the excellers? Is that, is that what you call someone who, who types in data? Excelers, I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, chefs. Because this is about your creative. This is about putting something out that is a part. It, 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 it's you're, you're trying to explain something about yourself. And most probably, you're a sociopath that, that doesn't like to get vulnerable with words. So just put it on a plate. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience here. You like awards. Every chef likes awards. It's just cool to say you don't. 
And the people that say they don't, by the way, somehow, isn't it funny how it works, right? You get awards. Listen, I get awards. I know it's important for me to say when when awards happen. <laughs> it's not about it. It isn't about it, but it is. It is and it, and it, and it is. Let's, let's be really frank. So Michelin I'm excited about. I'm excited about because I'm here in Austin, Texas. I'm here making food. I'm making food in a non-traditional way, right? I don't have a restaurant, but I have a monthly dinner series that basically is a restaurant for three days, right? Get reservations. We put up a menu. And we say, okay, we'll see you next month. I'm interested. And I'm interested in a different group. In a different group of biased individuals coming through and seeing what they like and what they don't like. And I know there's more to it than that. Of course there is, right? Michelin also is always coupled with fine dining. But the thing about it, after much criticism... They have also made a lot of efforts of becoming a little bit more global, not just in where they're looking, but to what cuisine they're looking and different price points. And if we're going to allow us to be excited about one awards group, national awards group giving us awards, then we can equally be excited about another awards group. None of it is, like, important in the grand scheme of things, but it is important if you want to be a chef in this game. So let's be fucking real. You like when something is talked about in press. Hopefully it's good press. You like awards. You, you cook for a living, not for the money. You cook for the living because you like being told at the end of the day, good job. And honestly, that made my skin crawl, but that's the fucking truth about being a chef. You're not a cook. You're a chef for a reason. I say bring it on, Michelin. Let's do it. All right, let's move on to third thing. And the third thing I wanted to talk about this week is I I wanted to... uh, land somewhere where we're we're feeling we're in familiar t- territory. I was about to say to territory. <laughs> you know when like sometimes you think of a word and you're like I got a handle on it. Don't worry about it. I got it. Don't every, everybody chill. <laughs> I think in the section before I said vulnerable and I was like just land just stick the landing. Don't think about it. You know uh I didn't see territory being this week's vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, (laughs) I wanted to land somewhere familiar uh, for for what we have built so far. A little bit of like an homage to to the tippy top of most sick palette uh, podcast episodes. And that's the weather, baby. But not just the weather. Let me get there. Um, we're we're in that milk toast era of fall. 
And and actually, we're not there quite yet. That's that's a little premature here. We're in we're in a place where I'm starting to feel my own own sadness, right? Where like it's hitting the nineties, close to hundreds, right right around two or three. But the mornings are in the seventies, and right after that. We get we get to downright quote unquote pleasant. And that means the days are getting shorter, which I hate. And our our world in Austin, Texas is gonna get a little bit colder every week. So I think to myself, because I know this happens every year, and yet every year I I just live in this in this daydream that summer could be forever, which I know is a bad thing because of global warming. Two things can be true. (laughs) I understand it's not good. And also, I love it personally. (laughs) It's not good, I know, okay? I know, okay? That, that, That means, like, the world is dying and, like, uh, capitalism has ruined our planet. But it it is it is nice to have a longer summer. <laughs> Just personally speaking, I care about the planet. But if I do have to deal with fall, then I think about the things I like to do in fall, right? I got to I got to trick myself into having a good time because I I don't do well when I know that and this, and this goes for my day-to-day. This goes for everything. I have to have a good time. I'm always trying to find a way to have a good time. When I'm doing my taxes, I try and find a way to make sure it feels like a good time. It's a disease that I have, right? I can't not have a good time, but I, I, I just need to have a good time. I need to trick myself. If something isn't fun, I need to find a way in. And how do I make fall fun for me? And the answer, I tell you, Dear listener, comes in a cold, comes in a crisp, martini, gin martinis. I love having martinis. Like, I really think that is my my cocktail of choice if we're doing cocktails, right? Uh, pretty much, I, I, I find it to be an, an, an annual treat, but there is something especially in fall. This is not winter, not spring, not even summer, my beloved summer. But in the fall, when the light is just a little bit hazier, right? When everything kind of looks like it's in vintage, there's something about having a cold, crisp martini. And so I thought about it. I was like, where are the places right now in Austin, Texas that I'm getting excited about of like, you know what, this fall, I want to go to these three places and have a cold, crisp gin martini. I don't like a dirty, you can have a dirty, I, no judgment. I like it straight up with a twist. I want it to be as cold as hell. I think I've made that very clear. I want it to be just a whisper, a rumor of, a, of, of vermouth around it, right? A little bit, a dabble do ya, swirl it around, 
get rid of it. Get me the good stuff. Get me some, get me some citrus in there. And that's it. Don't, don't put an olive in it, none of it. I want no part of it. So here are my three martini spots that, that you're going to be happy about it. And, and they're not, there's a lot of great martini places now in Austin, Texas. Truly, you, 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 can't, you can't not have a great martini in Austin, which is an amazing thing these days. First place. First place, I, I went to only once and I was not expecting to have one of the best martinis mostly because um the name the name I don't I don't love and the name of it is dive bar which essentially makes if you name your your establishment dive bar we can just assure that that place is probably not a dive bar right it feels a little gimmicky but I'll tell you what our bartender, and I went there kind of like right in the heat of summer. Our bartender made me and my friend some of the best damn smooth as hell gin martinis. And I wrote it down. I, I texted myself just so I, I remembered if like in a few months later, I was like, you know what? I want to have a great martini. I'm back in that side of town, right? Right off of Guadalupe. I got to remember, dive bar, I can have a great martini there. So that's number one. Number two, number two should come to no surprise, but I feel like it's not, it's not in enough lists for me. Truly, one of the great restaurant spots in Austin as of late, um, making really delicious, interesting food. I always love seeing what's, what's on the menu Service is impeccable and great martinis, including great martini deals. And that is Diner Bar. Amazing oysters. You're going to have an incredible steak. I mean, in the heart of downtown, right there. You're going to feel cool as hell doing it too. It's one of those spots where like every time I go there, and typically I go there with my friend Alex, we know we're getting a steak. That's we're getting oysters and we're getting gin martinis. So diner bar. Number three, number three is the shocker, the shocker of the list. And it shouldn't be either because they also, once again, great food, locally sourced and a, a treasure here in South Austin. Cafe Malta. Cafe Malta has an incredible wine program. They really do. Um, Cafe Malta has great specials, a truly like local bistro, local haunt vibes on par with the best of them. But there, there at Cafe Malta, if you say, you know what, it's not on here. They got Vespers uh, on the cocktail list, which is like, you know, a little martini coated. You say, and you look at your bartender and you say, I'd like a martini. And he'll say, absolutely. 
and you will have one of the best martinis here in town at Cafe Malta. Those are the three places this fall. At some point this fall, I'm having a martini there. And that is going to make fall a good time for me. And, and listen, if, if anyone else out there, which I think most people are very excited about fall, that's when they have a good time. They're struggling during summer. But I, this is, I think, something that I've started to live by as, as it's become clear to me every year that I'm closer and closer to having to fully, fully be adult at all times. Find ways to have a good time and whatever you do, just, just find it, find your in, find your way in. It's, it just makes it all more palatable. And that's, and that's, and that's it. That's, that's, that's the whole ball game, y'all. That's it. Um, thank you guys for weathering so many different storms, so many different styles, pieces of content, and we're going to continue. I feel very hopeful about this model. I do. I like that it is less about the research, less about me needing to prepare three topics every week. Let me know in the comments section. Let me know if you're saying, you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And if you want to help me on my journey to figure out whether or not I can get Michelin's attention, down in the links below, take a look. Take a look at our newly revamped branded monthly dinner series. It's a sick palette training kitchen partnership. And we call it the Million Texan Kitchen. And October seats are available. It is exploring Caribbean and Indian influences. And there's a mac and cheese course, which I'm very excited about. Um, Quail, Texas quail, all kinds of great stuff. So sign up. Link is below. Also happening in October, in a very different style of South Indian Texan. I am a dream come true. I've literally dreamed about this collaboration uh, between Veracruz and myself, specifically Veracruz Vonda, incredible restaurant and Mueller. For one night, we're we're creating a dinner called El Ritual. And it is four courses and we're, we're making something that I really, I really do feel like you'll never see this menu again, which is, I know a lot of my menus, but it is really incredible to see the amount of work and passion coming from the Veracruz team of really creating something that feels collaborative and fully themselves as well. And I got to hang out and shoot mezcal with Chef Reina and just see how deftly she can make a tamale, how incredible she is with flavors, how incredible the whole team is with flavors, to be honest. And I just feel so honored that I get to do a dinner with them. And we're doing like pork ribs, y'all. It's very exciting stuff. So come, come sign up. Come sign up for a night of mezcal, lots of spices, lots of different flavors, and lots of inroads between Mexican and South Indian cuisine.
All right. I will be here next week. Three different topics. Me going maybe too much off the cuff. I'll see you all next time. Bye.